I am here today with Sarah Roth. Sarah Roth is the CEO of the BC Cancer Foundation from the side of fundraising. Um, and I came here, really cool view out of these windows, and quite a few questions I'd like to ask you about your role here, how you manage your time effectively, um, and based on those questions, I'll try to find more questions. So thank you very much for coming on and letting me um, have this interview and conversation with you. Um, I'll begin by asking you why and how did you become the CEO of the BC Cancer Foundation? Well, thanks for having me, Matthew. This is, this is a treat. Uh, so I don't think you, you know, decide to become a CEO or decide to become anything. I think life is a journey. And my journey um, was I uh, graduated from university, I'm an American, um, in 1994 and there was a bit of a recession and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I temped for a while and then um, I got an entry level position in the alumni and development office at my university and was a secretary just doing calendars and that sort of role and um, I watched how the professionals in that office seemed really fulfilled, seemed to really enjoy what they were doing, you know, meeting with alumni, raising money for education right. and scholarships, and I thought, well, this is interesting. And at the same time, I was doing a master's degree in history just because I love school, and so I was doing that. And so long story short, I sort of, like many of us, fell into the profession of fundraising. Along mm. the way, I got an MBA when I was living in Boston, not necessarily to advance my career, although certainly it hasn't hurt, but more so because I was really interested in business and understanding what drives business because so many of our donors were in some form of business. Right. And I wanted to understand them better um, because I did a very heavily liberal arts education. Mm -hmm. When you, you mentioned when you were going out of high school, you weren't sure what you wanted to do. Um, what for other students, what advice could you give other students uh, where they are in your position, they don't know what they might want to do? Uh, what advice would you give to them? Uh, some people gave advice where they should try everything possible in school. Some, some said that you should take a gap year and figure out what you might want to do in that one or two years that you're taking. Uh, what's, what's your opinion? What's your advice? Well, I think it, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on, you know, you're in grade 12 and I have a yeah. son who's grade 11 and um, a daughter who's in university and what sort of bothers me is it feels like there's a lot of pressure on your generation to know who, what you're going to do for the rest of your life and what career you're going to have and what mm -hmm. specialty you're going to study at university and I'm very much of the mind that you don't know yourself yet. I actually think your 20s are the most formative decade of your life. And so, yes, I think I would encourage people to, if you want to go to university and pursue subjects that interest you, um, that's one avenue. Certainly the trades is another really important, like, you sort of think, find your interest, find your passion, and go in that direction, even if it may not be clear right away where that's going to land you in your career. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I've spoken to said that mentors are very important in anyone's life, and having them helps guide you through life. Did you have any mentors or people in that position who helped guide you through your career, through life? Well, for starters, I was very fortunate to be in a home that was 
well put together. I have mm -hmm. parents. My mother is a high school teacher. My father is a professor. So obviously education was very important in my home. I felt loved. I felt supported. I have an older brother who's a great role model. Um, so I feel very lucky. Uh, so I think the family influence is important. And having, and having parents that um, are not prescribing your path, but encouraging you to pursue your own path and your own passions, I think mm -hmm. that's important. Um, and then, you know, certainly at university, I had a professor or two in subjects that I was really interested in who, um, you know, just kind of believed in me and nurtured me. And then certainly in my career, um, I've had several people who, it was more I watched how they led and watched what I thought were the powerful attributes they had to make them great leaders and I would kind of internalize that and without changing who I am I reflect on like well what would that person do in this situation and I try to emulate it rather than you know changing my personality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. AI has become a very big thing now and have you had any chance to gimmick around with the chat GPT or or uh, you, you've mentioned you have a son, so he probably knows what that is. Have you gone to? Well, it's an interesting time actually in healthcare. Um, so in our role at the BC Cancer Foundation, we're supporting BC Cancer. And we do support research um, and they use AI. So for example, when you think of cancer, so the way they research cancer is they need lots of cancer cells, right? Mm -hmm. To understand well, what's going on. So there's like big tissue banks of all breast cancer, people who have diagnosed with breast cancer who consent to give their tissue. And it's actually computers now that sort through this data and then feed out information that then computer scientists have to understand. And that's, that's a whole revolution that you know, wasn't really around 20 years ago. So I actually think in, there's, there's obviously controversy around AI, but in healthcare, it's going to be a huge boost. Another example is mammograms. So women get their breasts screened for cancer, and um, those are read by radiologists. So there's new data that's come out that AI, so computers reading the screen and not a human radiologist, can actually have a more precise reading than sometimes what radiologists see because mm -hmm. the computer can actually see more cells on the image than what the human eye can see. Mm -hmm. So that's great, right? Right. right. That would catch an, a smaller cancer that a human eye didn't see. So I think there's some really interesting applications that AI is starting to have and will have more in the health system that will not, and I know there's a concern about jobs. Well, you know, will people lose jobs? In this case, not really, because we still need the humans to sort through data and mm -hmm. to plan the whole system that AI is going to be used and applied. Right. Uh, how important is research in the Cancer Foundation? Research is the hope. You know, if you're diagnosed with cancer, the first thing you have is anxiety, right, and worry. Mm -hmm. How bad is my cancer? Is the treatment going to work? You know, all of those things. And what I believe is important for people to understand is that the government funds your care, right? But your care is only influenced by how good science is and how advanced research is. 
So private money is what drives innovation. Private money is what supports pretty much every aspect, in some way, every aspect of the cancer journey. So diagnostics, donor support, fund the state-of-the-art imaging. Treatment, you're on a drug. Clinical trials, drugs go through clinical trials. Donor money has funded clinical trials so that you're given the right drug for your particular cancer that's already been tested. And then when you survive cancer, there are sometimes long-term side effects or you have sexual health issues. Well, donor money is helping to support you in that. So research is foundational for, for cancer and research gives you hope. You mm -hmm. never want to hear from your doctor, there's nothing more I can do for you. Right. right. And our goal is to ensure that the doctors who are taking care of you have more tools in their toolbox. If one tool doesn't work, they have something else to offer you for your treatment. Mm -hmm. Now we'll shift a bit and I would like to ask you how exactly does cancer work and how does it develop? Because from my understanding and from what I've heard, every single person has cancer cells in their body, but if their immune system is stronger than those cancer cells, the cancer won't grow. And I'd just yeah. like for you to clarify I'm that. Certainly, just to be clear, I'm not an expert, right? I'm not an, a, a physician and, or a scientist. Um, what I can tell you is that cancer is very smart. So there are um, cancer, can, what happens is cancer cells mutate. And so one of the challenges with uh, diagnosing cancer in some, in some areas of your mm -hmm. body is um, they can't be seen on an image clearly. So for example, um, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, some lung cancers, it's hard to see the cancer cells where it's easier to see in the prostate or the breast. Um, often the reason why we have to keep researching drugs is because the cancer cells get smart and when we're treating cancer with a certain drug, then the cancer cells outsmart the drug. And so then oh. we need new drugs, right? It, basically, they're not working anymore. Now, the immune system does play an important role, and there's a very exciting field called immunotherapy, mm -hmm. where um, they supercharge your immune system by removing what they call T cells, which are important cells in, in your immune system, mm -hmm. and they supercharge them to basically become like warriors. You know, they're just kind of soldiers right now, but they like, you know, okay. give them all these fancy, you know, um, battle uh, equipment, and then they put them back in your body. So they're like re-engineering the cells. They put them back in your body so those cells can fight the cancer and kill it. And that's been very effective in some blood blood cancers and some lung cancers. Some cure cures have happened from immunotherapy for melanomas, that's skin cancer. Um, so there's lot there's lots of um, ways that they're trying to attack cancer because it's not just one cause. I see. That's I see. the challenge. Where is you know you've 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 mentioned you're not an expert in this field, mm -hmm. uh, but where is cancer most deadly when it starts out? Where should people, you know, always, you know, if, if it starts out here, it's way more deadly than if it starts here. Well, I think I'll reframe your question. I think um, the first thing I would say is 
how important it is to listen to your body and pay attention to your body, especially men. Mm -hmm. So women, um, because of our anatomy, um, we go and we get checked more often than men, right? We go to the gynecologist, mm -hmm. um, we start getting screened for cervical cancer through pap smears, um, we're, you know, we're told to get our mammograms. Um, you know, men luckily don't have as much maintenance that they have to do, right, in the early years like we do. However, um, you know, cancer is indiscriminatory, right? So listening to your body is very important. Getting your screening. So, for example, for men, making sure you're getting your colon screening, which is just, just a poop sample that you start at 50. Mm -hmm. um, some people at higher risk. Also, pay attention to your family history. Do you have first-degree relatives who have had cancer? So another important message is there are certain cancers that are more genetic, more hereditary. I see. And one of the big genes that drives cancer is called BRCA. And they're more, it's more prevalent in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. um, and it shows up mostly as breast cancer, prostate cancer, and pancreatic cancer. So if you have a first-degree relative who's had breast cancer, or prostate cancer or pancreatic cancer, um, then our hereditary cancer program could screen you and your family for genetic testing mm -hmm. because that's prevention, right? And then if you carry the gene, you don't have to panic because then you could be monitored and screened, right? But if you don't know you have the gene, then, you know, you're at mm -hmm. higher risk. So, um, I think there's also a lot of um, advances in how we can prevent cancer. There's a lot of work research being done in more early detection and early diagnose, you know, uh, diagnoses. And this year we launched the first lung cancer screening program in Canada. Oh. And that was funded by our foundation. Um, so they're targeting the smoker population right now because, of course, they're at higher risk. Mm -hmm. The reason why this is important is non-smoking lung cancer is on the rise and actually 40% of all lung cancer diagnoses are from non-smokers. Oh, I see. So, yeah. I see. Um, you've mentioned that the cancer cells are smart, and if you try to prevent them with one thing, they later that medicine or whatever it is won't work because they've yeah. gained knowledge. So is it possible to get a cure for cancer? Is that, is that, is that possible considering they'd get smarter and smarter? In our lifetime, I think, you know, the reality is it's possible cancer could become more like a chronic disease, similar to diabetes or heart disease, where people have a medication that they take to live a high quality of life and keep their disease under control. Mm -hmm. A cure is very challenging because it's so complex, cancer. Um, and so in some cases, people are cured. Um, for sure, and uh, that's happening more and more. But in our lifetime, will we see all cancer be cured? No, mm -hmm. and that's because there are so many different types of cancers and so many different um, ways those cells behave that it's not one disease. I see, I see. Now, there are a lot of factors that might contribute to one uh, being diagnosed with cancer. Um, now, a lot, a lot of it's genetic, and uh, some of it is um, unhealthy lifestyle um, and not proper eating. 
What foods would you say for someone who wants to be healthy and far away from cancer, would you say they could eat to minimize the risk of cancer? So first I'll just correct that uh, of okay. cancers, about they, they suspect about 15% are hereditary, so not the majority but those mean, means you carry a gene like the BRCA, so in about 15% oh, of see. cancers. I so see. it's okay. still fairly low, but okay. as I said, in certain populations like the Jewish community, it's a higher percentage that might carry that gene. Okay. Um, so that's the first point. Uh, you are absolutely right that diet is critical, but diet is critical for health overall. Right, right. Um, mental health, physical health, you know, our well-being. So, um, you know, obviously, what we read about around, you know, eating a balanced diet, more plants. Uh, certainly BC Cancer has come out recently with a big push to educate people about the risk of alcohol. There are direct links between alcohol consumption and cancer. So alcohol is metabolized in your liver. Okay. And, um, you know, you just want to be smart about how much you consume. So okay. they're actually recommending... Um, you know, as little as two drinks per week for, you know, those are guidelines that BC Cancer has come out with. Right. Again, each individual has to make their own choices and, um, you know, everything, I kind of live by everything in moderation um, seems to be good. And at the end of the day, there's bad luck involved. You can do everything right. You can exercise. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they know also there's direct links between uh, obesity and higher risk of cancer. So just being mindful of your weight and trying to maintain a healthy weight, trying to exercise. Um, but there's not like one thing that you do that will, you know, okay. yeah. you know be, right. the, be the cure. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, if someone is interested in going into this direction mm -hmm. of research, of whatever, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. um, what courses do you suggest they take and what motivation could they get to continue pursuing in this direction? So um, science is a really exciting field um, and you know I think if you're interested in science we would I love for people to think about pursuing cancer research. Um, there's certainly like a huge opportunity to discover, you know, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, it's a very exciting field right now with the advances in technology. So yeah, an education in, in science. And again, if you're a computer person, like data and analytics is becoming more and more relevant in healthcare. So we're actually, it's interesting. I always thought we would just sort of, you'd see a lot of biologists, you know, looking at petri dishes in the lab. Actually, there's more and more chemists and physicists even, because the physicists are working on um, imaging. So these peptides, which are compounds, mm -hmm. um, and they use them to treat cancer, and that's physics. Oh. So it's a pretty big world yeah. um, to, to explore. So, you know, and there's, you know, lots of opportunity. And then in, in what I do around fundraising, you know, we, we, I'd love for more people to go into this field. It's incredibly rewarding. You work with generous people right. who care about the cause and want to make a difference, and that's really fulfilling work. Mm -hmm.
time management for anyone is extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, and teenagers uh, or, or students or people who aren't, don't work a, um, a, a full job, I feel like they don't understand the value of time as much. Do you think the value of time is something that is taught or do you think it comes from life experiences? And if so, how can someone, uh, in this case a student, manage their time more effectively or more efficiently? That's a very good question. Um, I think my answer to that is how do you want to feel how do you want to fill your time that fills your soul? So that could be you love sports. So you do sports, which is wonderful for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. You could be, do art. You could play music. You could read a book. You could watch Netflix. I mean, there's our whole life, right? We, we are making decisions every day, every minute. And I like to think, I, the way I've lived my life is I want to I do things that fulfill me and so that's how I choose to spend my time and that's my time management mm -hmm. um, it's helpful if you find a job that you love so I actually think of this more as a life calling than as a job so I feel really lucky because I know not everyone feels that way but this job you know fulfills mm -hmm. me uh, so I want to be here and I want to spend my time on yeah. this and when I'm not at my job, I want to spend time with my family and my dogs. And then when I want time to myself, I want to ride my bike, right? So it's, I think it's about that. Mm -hmm. What does a day in the office look like for you? Like you get to the office and what, what does it look like for you? So that's the other thing I love about this profession is every day is different. So we have 92 staff at the BC Cancer Foundation and we are uh, my staff are all over the province. So we have a team in Kelowna, oh. we have a team in Victoria, we have a team in Surrey and Abbotsford and Fraser region, and um, then the majority of us are here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And that's because BC Cancer is provincial. So, you know, a day in the life of me is, you know, I might have some internal meetings, I might have some external meetings, so I also deal with government, I deal with, um, I interact with BC Cancer a lot, their leadership, uh, I have a board of directors, who are my boss, so I, I interact with my board. So there's a lot of different sort of pockets of individuals that I, um, you know, lean on and that who, you know, are part of our organization's success. And that makes it really interesting because everyone has a different perspective, different agenda, and I see my role as kind of bringing everyone together. Mm -hmm. If someone was to go in this field, what would they be expecting? The fundraising profession is actually quite, I mean, the, the nonprofit sector is a huge sector. Um, we're a huge part of the economy. I think we're 9% of the Canadian economy, um, which, you know, and we employ, I think, 2.5 million people in Canada. So it's not insignificant. Um, and, you know, we have a finance team, we have a marketing communications team, we have a fundraising team. So, you know, you can have lots of different interests yourself and pursue work in the nonprofit sector. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's very rewarding. We have purpose. And I think that's something that if the listeners come away with anything, I'd like everyone to 
do some reflecting, like what it, what is your purpose? Like what, you know, when you sort of, you know, leave this earth, like what, what do you want to, you know, to be remembered by? What, what do you want, again, to like, what, what will get you up every morning? What mm-hmm. purpose? And you may not know right now, but that's okay. But find it. I see. Like lean in the direction that will get you to a place where you say, well, this is my purpose. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, some people have said that the gap between university mm-hmm. um, and or the high school and university has become much bigger and those mm-hmm. students who strive to get into universities get into the universities and then they realize they're not at all up to par mm-hmm. with what universities uh, want you to do. So I think a lot of students have that struggle mm-hmm. and because I mean when 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 you were growing up like you said school uh, high school has challenged re- me challenged you and prepared you yeah. a lot for what's to come in university yeah. in the real world um, and so have my parents and so have yeah. um, but our generation isn't being prepared as much and yeah I, well I think then your generation should speak up mm-hmm. and say like you know you have a voice parents should speak up Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it is, you know, it is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few of the students do say that, or a few of the, quite a few people say that uh, education is not as important. It's the life experiences that you go through that more prepare you for your future. And that's unless if you want to be a doctor or lawyer where you need school and you mm-hmm. can't get around that. Mm-hmm. But for other jobs where school is preferred um, a lot of the a lot of people are saying that school and education is not that important um, what do you think well I think um, every person is different so you know I know some some kids you know struggle with school and um, so maybe it's not the right schooling for them that's not the right environment for them so they need to find what environment works for them so i'm not suggesting everyone needs to go to university i don't i don't think that Mm -hmm. actually at all i think we need we do need to trade train more people in the trades and um and i think education is power it is knowledge is power like i said being able to think analytically and critically is power um and life experiences happen regardless. I see, I see. Before we finish off here, I'd like to ask you on your favorite book that might have helped you achieve uh, what you've achieved or just a book that you like to read um, and then a favorite podcast that you've listened to that might have helped you or might potentially benefit other students. So um, I regret to tell you I don't listen to podcasts. Um, All good. When I have my... In fact, my husband and I were just talking about this because he always like works works out or walks the dogs with ear pods, and he's mm-hmm. always listening to a podcast. Like I need quiet mm-hmm. because this job is very extroverted. I am on and talking all day. I have very little moments where I just sit and I'm quiet and think, and that's partly my fault. Probably I don't schedule enough of that, but then I use that time. So anyway, so that's why I don't use pods because mm-hmm. I get a lot of things right. coming at me yeah. just by virtue of the job. Um, I read the New York Times 
online every single day, yeah. like a large part of it, and the, and the local news. So I love to learn and, you know, yeah. and I pay attention to current events. Um, so I love reading books. I'm like 51, and I have a terrible memory now of, like, books I've read. So I can't answer that question because I just go through so many books. I just love to read. I mostly like to read historical fiction. I see. So there's not one book that's like shaped right. me or motivated right, right, me. Right. I just love to read. I read every night. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned boredom. Yeah. And just to let everybody know yeah. that boredom is very good for you yeah. because right now uh, our generation is taking in so much information yes. that having your brain just like relax, yeah. going for a walk or working out without music or without... Um, anything yeah. is, is... You don't is, know how to be bored, your generation. Yeah, it's we like, always have our phone, have we always phone, pick up our phone if we're bored. stimuli. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to study what's happened to your brains, like, later with this. Like, yeah. you know, we don't know, because it's a whole generation. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't grow up with email, computers, like, it's like, yeah. I grew up in the 80s. So, yeah. it's just different. I'm not suggesting it's worse. It's just different. Yeah. But absolutely, like, you don't know how to be bored. Yeah. And so, so being you're bored, aware of it. Being, yeah, yeah, being bored is, is yeah. important. That's why I work out without music. And Good for you. Okay, well, then you're, you're doing... Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing my part. Doing well, part. thank you so much for coming yeah, on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for all yeah. the little yeah. um, tips and tricks that you've gave other students yeah. on your advice and your opinion on how to better yourself. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.